0: Well, hey, good evening, welcome. My name is Jared, I'm excited to be with you all tonight. Guys, this is our first, this is our kickoff for the semester, and with the kickoff of the semester is always a good time to stop, and reflect to look back and see it's not quite where you get to with January first. Oh, that just appeared out of nowhere. That's cool, uh, but it doesn't quite get there like January first does, where you sit there and you go, "Okay, I'm going to do everything right this year." But this semester, this school year, I'm going to hit everything the way I know I should. I'm going to not. I'm not sleeping in for that 8 a.m. It's not getting me this year. Uh, and even if you're like in post grad or you're working in the workforce, you're like, "Okay, it's it. It feels like it's something special." Because I'm not in school anymore. Can I get an amen and praise the Lord? They're not excited. They wish they were still in school. So if you're in college, remember that, okay? Um, But tonight, when we think about what our our topic is, when Logan and I talked a couple weeks ago about what our, our topic is, what we decided for today is what comes first. What comes first? Like, what's the most important thing? Because as you look at your semester, as you line out your priorities, you sit there and go, okay, what, what's most important this semester? What's the hardest class that I have? What's the most difficult thing that I'm going to walk into this semester? Is it this day? Is it Tuesday, Thursday? Is it Monday, Wednesday? Like, is it my long day? Is it my short day? Is it because I have to go straight to work? Like, there's a lot of things that you have to learn to prioritize. If you don't get that calendar early in the semester and prioritize, you're going to get mid-semester. You're going to have late assignments. You're going to do a lot of things. You might do them incorrectly. Um, I, I went to two years of community college in St. Louis before I came to Missouri State and uh, finished my degree. Um, and then when I was in community college, I met this guy named Alex, and we became pretty good friends um, um, through, through community college. And community college is a funny thing because you go there, and it's like 13th and 14th grade, and you don't, nobody's trying to meet anybody. So I was just glad I knew somebody at community college. And I met my friend Alex. And I took all my important classes up front. I took all the classes I needed to have. I didn't take any electives my first three semesters. So I got to my fourth semester and I realized I could take pretty much whatever I wanted. So I had two online classes I had to take. And then I took some like fun music theory classes that I didn't know anything about music. And it was like, this was gonna be fun to figure out. Um, I took a class piano class. Like it was like a bunch of people in a room learning to play, you know, piano stuff, and it was a ton of fun, and I took it with one of my buddies, and it was just a hilarious thing. But then I took a class called Recreational Water Activity, um, where the goal of the class, you sign into the, to the school pool, uh, and you have to spend 24 hours over the course of a 16-hour semester, a 16-week semester, and you, you just have to rack up hours in the pool. You could play basketball, you could swim laps, you could j- jump off the diving board. So me, and my friend Alex signed up for Recreational Water Activity, and RWA was great until you took four or five weeks off, and then you had like nine hours to rack up in the pool, to get ready, and you're you're, kind of nasty afterwards. But graduated, everything's good. But we also took a a volleyball class, which I also thought, like, okay, I I don't know how to set, I don't know how to bump, like, they're going to teach me how volleyball works, and instead it was a um, baseball coach with a whistle, and he's pushing a basketball, dribbling a basketball, and he's going, all right, need four captains, you pick, you play there, and then he went and shot hoops for, like, 30 minutes, and then he was like, all right, time's up switch, and then played basketball a little bit more. So we just screwed around, we, we invited a bunch of our friends, and we, we just played volleyball together, and it was a ton of fun. And then me and Alex also played, uh, we played, it was a play, uh, but we did a pottery class, it was, hilarious because we didn't didn't know anything about pottery and we're, you know, throwing pots on the the wheel. And just this semester was just a ton of fun. We didn't take anything seriously. And probably about mid-semester, me and Alex had ridden together to school. And I was like, Alex, this is so awesome that me and you, it just lined up where we could take all these classes together and still graduate. He was coming to Missouri State with me in the fall. And I was like, man, this is so awesome. And he looked at me, he goes, oh, I'm not going to graduate. And I was like, why are you taking all these classes then? That doesn't make any sense for you. And he was just like, bro, I'm just here for the good time. And I was like, okay, I appreciate a, a friend like Alex who's there for the good time, who's just having fun. And, and Alex was, was a ton of fun. We had a lot of fun that semester. Alex didn't graduate from community college, got to Missouri State. Anyway, long story short. But... We have to know what our priorities are so that when we're doing things in life, so that we're moving through the world, we know, okay, this is an easy yes, because it's high on my priority list. This is an easy no, because it's no on my priority list. It's low on my priority list. And then you have other things that you're like, okay, where does that fit? How do you develop a filter for those priorities? How do you start to have something so that you can say, this is a priority, this is not. And you have to know what that means. And as we're looking at scripture to know like what, How do you start to develop what your priorities are? And I'll be honest, you're in church. So like you're probably sitting here thinking like, okay, he's probably gonna say Jesus should be the priority. Church should be the priority. Yes, but how do you get there? How does that actually become something that's a priority for you? I wanna read our verse for tonight. It's Matthew 6, 33. And if you've never read Matthew 6 before, I challenge you to read it. Matthew 5, to think through seven or eight is Jesus' sermon on the mount. And it's one of the most important things that Jesus does and says because he flips so many things on his head and, and talks about, okay, you say it's the law, but I say it's the heart. You say you can be doing that externally, but internally, your heart your motives are bad. And it just kind of threw what they understood as how the world worked upside down completely. And Jesus has two interesting things, and we're gonna to touch on one in Matthew uh, 6. 21, 25 through there. And then the rest of Matthew 6, uh, I think 25 through 33, what we're going to read today, he's talking about worry. He's talking about anxiety. And he uses two analogies that are really, really good and really, really applicable. And he kind of says like, hey, if, if you're worried about what you're going to eat, if you're worried about what you're going to eat, drink, if you're worried about what clothes you're going to wear, you have to just look around and you see these common birds that people don't even give anything for. And I feed them, like they're okay, not because they're good and they save and they're wise. He's like, I, I'm, I'm their provider. So if I provide for them, don't you think I'd provide for you? And then he said, if you're worried about what you're going to wear and your status, and he says, look at the most common flower in the world, and it's beautiful, and it creates a landscape in a way that only God can. And God says, if Jesus tells everyone here, if, if I do that for something that gets burnt up at the end of the summer, thrown into a fire, like it's gone, and nobody really cares, how much more will I adorn you in splendor and make you beautiful? And he starts to add this, but he doesn't, he doesn't look at our worry, and he doesn't look at our stress, and he doesn't look at our, our anxiety and just go, hey, it's not a big deal. Stop worrying about it. Move on. He doesn't just say, hey, if I take care of this, I'll take care of you, that's it. He adds this phrase to the end of what he says about worry and he helps put it all in perspective for our priorities. And this is what he says in Matthew 6, verse 33. He says, but, so he gives them this analogy, he gives them this picture, and then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. And I think, I think we look at that and we go, okay, That makes sense. He's talking about priorities. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added to you. And that's a really good sounding coffee cup verse that you're like, man, that, that sounds great. But I think in reality, and and, and I think you guys are doing something good. You guys are all young adult age who made it to a church on a a Tuesday night at the beginning of a semester. You could have been a thousand places tonight, but you chose to be here. You are clearly seeking God in some way or another. And maybe someone duped you into coming, and I'm sorry, but you're, you're here. But you're seeking God in some way. But I think what the reality is here is that there's a lot of us that maybe don't seek God First. I think for all of us, it's so easy to go. God is like a decent additive. God is like a like a good thing to have in my back pocket. He's a good helper. I enjoy having him. It's decent when like I haven't been good and like had a rough Friday and Saturday, and like I'll go to church on Sunday, or I'll like read my Bible a little bit, and you read some Proverbs, and you feel better about yourself, and like I like that, I like knowing about forgiveness, I like knowing about grace. But is God the number one? Is God the highest on your priority list? Is God really the driver and the mover in your life? So, we've got three points today, and this is the first one. To acknowledge Jesus as king. To acknowledge Jesus as king. You see this similar language in Colossians 3. So, Matthew 6 is gonna be kinda where we start off tonight, but it really just poses our question. How do you seek first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you read Colossians 3, Paul kind of adds some some handles, some ideas, some some texture to what we're talking about here. And he spends most of Colossians talking about who God is and how he created and how he's so good. And then he gets to Colossians 3 and he kind of flips the script and he's saying, Okay, now that you know who God is, this is what life should look like. And if you read Colossians 3, 3 through 4, it says, but you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. At the crux of a relationship with Jesus is the idea that we read about in Romans that says that we were not good. It says it in Ephesians that we were dead in our sin. There was nothing that we could do to bring us back to life. Dead things are dead. I've got some little boys that are they're, they're going to be six and four and two all after the summer, and they love playing outside, and sometimes they'll come to me with a bug that is not alive. And they're like, Dad, can we keep it as a pet? Like, okay, um, I'm going to teach you some things. It's not moving now. It's not going to move later. It's dead The the picture of what Paul and Jesus both say about our state and our being is not that like, hey, you're doing a little bit bad and a little bit good, and if you can ramp it up a little bit, me and you will be good. The picture that you see consistently in Scripture is that we don't have a shot And I know that that's a sad start to the semester and a sad start to the message, but it's true. And if we don't see things accurately for what it is, and we just see, okay, church is just going to pump me up a little bit, it's going to help me out a little bit, then we're going to miss it. And we miss the point of the scriptures. We miss the point of Jesus as a whole, because here he says, you have died, in your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, it's this idea that, like, because of your life, it is you're found in Him. There's no, there's no life that you have that's outside of the person of Jesus. It's, it's just not there. Any life that you have, any hope that you have, any peace that you have is because of your life being hidden. You can't find your life apart from Christ, is what it says about believers. And then it says when you're when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And here's the difference. Here's where I think the biggest difference makes in someone, someone's life today who's a young adult. If we acknowledge Christ as king, as opposed to acknowledging him as anything less than that. I think most of us don't want a king. Most of us don't want a ruler. We want a roommate. Hey, come out of your room when I wanna hang. Hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you pay your portion of the rent? Hey, I'm short this month. Can you help me? Hey, can you Can we hang? We want someone that's going to add to our lifestyle. So, when your roommate comes out and says, "Hey, what you did was a little annoying. Can you stop?" It's like, "Go back in your room. I don't want to bother with you today." But a ruler you treat that differently. When someone has authority, you listen. And I do think that this is an important distinction to make because there's so much in the Bible about God both being Lord and being friend, and he is both fully. He's not friend that, hey, good to see you. I'll see you next time. It's been good. Now I can go do what I want. We get to be friends with the king. We have a figure that is our heavenly father in the king. And we are diminishing his goodness when we see him as anything less. And we want to, I, I just, this got me this week. I want to read God's word and go, man, I, I love that part. I don't love this part. The service part, I love that. That comes natural to me, I like that. But watching your tongue part, Maybe another day. The part about like living in unity and peace with the people of your church community, so that the outsiders will see that you are the disciples, it's like, can I live in unity with them from far, far, far away? Because I don't like that part. The part about we'll read it in a minute, but one of the things that Paul always talks about to his churches is like, "Oh, you've been changed. OK. Let's deal with some things. And he lists stuff. And there's stuff that I'm like, that is bad. I hate that. And then there's stuff that I go, he probably means somebody else. But if we acknowledge him as king, this is not an acknowledgement of, I see you, I acknowledge you. This is an acknowledgement of his authority this is an acknowledgment of his goodness. This is acknowledgment of his way is best, and I will submit to that. I will cede to that. I will yield to that. And I say that, saying that I don't do this thing perfectly. There's things that I've struggled with that I read, and I go, okay, I get it, but God, how, how do I actually make this happen? But I think it starts with every day, almost every moment, acknowledging, God, you're the king. You're the decision maker. You are the important one. Why is it important that we consistently acknowledge him as king? Because my heart will consistently acknowledge myself as the most important person in the room. I've lived 31 years, and that has been one of the most consistent feelings and thought patterns that I have addressed, is that whenever an issue arises, I don't think, oh, how did that affect you? I think about how it affects me. I see my minor inconveniences not as minor, but as major, and your major ones as minor because it's not my problem. Our self is going to elevate naturally it's going to happen so I need to remind myself and remind my heart and remind who I am and have people around me that will help me remember hey Jared I know that you're stressed about this thing right now but if you'll seek first the kingdom and remember how good he is it'll put into perspective your anxiety and your worry It doesn't say that it'll fix it. There's a statement at the end there that says, and all these things will be added to you. I'm gonna get to that and explain what that means. But the Bible also talks about how there's a peace that overwhelms everything else that doesn't make any sense that happens when we submit to him. And I do think that's important. Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do. See, with Jesus here, he's talking to some people that were like, listen, Jesus, we're, we're all in on you. You know that. And Jesus was like, okay, if you're all in, then you will do what I ask. There, there was a inconsistency with the idea that you would have a Lord, you would have a master, you would have a person who you called king, but then not obey them. It just wouldn't have made any sense. So Jesus here is starting to help them understand that this is both a heart attitude and an obedience and a consistent humility to look at scripture, to look at the life of Jesus, to look at the church and go, this is what he's called me to do. And man, do I fall short and it only happens because of Jesus. So I'm gonna keep showing up at the foot in the throne of Jesus because if I'm going to do this thing, it's only gonna happen because the good King lets me be a part of it. Um, the the right after that, Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount. In in Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there's this kind of tension there because you read Romans 10 that talks about how. Who Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, then they will be saved. Well, you have Romans 10 saying if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And then you have Matthew 7 who, that says, listen, if you, if you say it but don't do it, are you really? And there's this attitude where God will see through our inconsistencies where maybe with our mouth we are saying one thing, but in our heart we're going, I'm just doing what it takes to get by in this economy okay, I'm at church, they're saying that the way that you have a relationship with God, the way that you get to heaven is by saying this certain prayer, so I'm gonna do it just in case. But God sits back and says, I'm watching your heart and your heart is not showing up saying, I don't have another shot in this world if it's not for you. And he sees through our lip service in an attempt to bypass Jesus to get the things that we want, to bypass God to get to what we see as valuable. He sees through it. Even in Romans 10, you can kind of start to see that, that it's a it's a call on the name of the Lord and confess. It is an attitude of I'm I'm here and I don't have another option. And God, if you don't come through for me, I'm sunk. And that's how we acknowledge him as King. The second thing, the first thing is acknowledge Jesus as a king. The second thing is to adjust our eyes to the kingdom to adjust our eyes to the kingdom. This room is dark now and it stays pretty dark during the week and um, I had a day, uh, Logan and I were doing some stuff outside and we walked from outside where it's bright, you've got the parking lot where it kinda shines a little extra uh, bright and then we walked in here and I was like, I I legitimately like can't see anything because my eyes have adjusted to the light and now I'm standing in darkness and it, it is difficult To live there. And I think one of the reasons it is hard to prioritize is that our eyes as Christians have adjusted to the darkness instead of the light. I think our lives, both in the things that we value and the things that we look at, may not look any different than the people around us. And then we wonder why our life doesn't look like what we read in the Bible. because our eyes have adjusted to darkness. Can I tell you that when you walk from outside where it's bright into a dark room, you see exactly how dark it is. And as believers, we have to. This is not... For elite believers, this is not for top shelf. This is if you call yourself a Christian, we've got to start living in a different way and start changing the way that we input things into our hearts, into our lives, and into our thoughts. In the next three weeks, Logan and I are gonna talk about like the, the what happens when you have thoughts that intake and things that happen, and what happens then it starts to change your emotions and it starts to change your words. So I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but I do want you to understand how important it is. Colossians 3, one and two. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. It says where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, choose to look at on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is a consistent theme in scripture. In Philippians 4, we see another place where he says, hey, let your request be made known to God. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and submission, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. There's this promise, this beautiful promise. But then there's this a flip side to it in Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is not just an offloading of the things that we think about that stresses us out. It's also saying, what am I inputting? What am I looking at? What am I valuing? What do I want in life? It happens. If you consistently look at one thing, you will go, I kind of like that thing. The things that I follow on Instagram are the things that I go, man, I should buy the same thing that they have. Why? Because I consistently look at it. I start to value it and it changes my heart and it changes what I look at and my thoughts in my mind. We have to adjust our eyes to the kingdom. Matthew 6, 21, what Jesus is talking about right before this is money. And he's saying, hey, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't, don't make this the end goal for you. But store up treasures in heaven. And then he adds this phrase that can be a little confusing, but he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he makes this statement about how the eyes are like a lamp into your mind, it illuminates the things that you see and helps your mind make sense of it. What are you looking at? Does it look any different than the person who's not a believer? where's your treasure at? What are the things that you value? Because what it says here is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That means the things that we value, our heart follows them. Sometimes I think we end up showing up to God on a consistent basis and we go, God, I read my Bible a little bit today. Will you change where my treasure lies? And I do think that's part of it. But I think then I spend the rest of my day looking at my phone and valuing the things that I see on there, and then going, "God, why did my treasure change?" Because well, the lamp into my mind was consistently viewing something that maybe not bad. It's not the things of God. And my eyes have adjusted to the darkness instead of the light adjusting to everything else. What are you looking at, and what do you value? I think there's there, there is, there is such a piece of this. I think there's such a stronghold on this generation that has to do with the things that we look at. And we go, man, I really want to quit looking at those things late at night. I really want to stop struggling with this addiction. And then we go, all right, I'm going to put this to bed for the night, and it's six inches away from your head. And then you wake up in the morning and you go, I wish it wasn't the same way again. Ah, God, how do I start to? There's some ways. But the reality is, is it's only going to happen when you start to be serious about the things of God and wanting your life to look different and setting your eyes and your mind on the things of God and not the things of the world. Our heart follows what we value and what we look at. So acknowledge Jesus as king, adjust your eyes to the kingdom, and lastly, live like a member of the kingdom because you are. Live like a member of the kingdom because you are. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He, he, he's making this argument that like, hey, sometimes someone's life will look like, man, I, I accepted Christ and I never wanted a sip of alcohol again. I just, just the desire went away. And that is a beautiful thing that happens sometimes. But sometimes because we've glorified some of those situations and we should, that's God doing a good thing. We have also said, yeah, we don't really know why it hasn't happened in my case. I don't know why it's still a struggle with me right now. It's not, it just hasn't changed for me. It's still there. It hasn't changed. Let me keep reading. In these, you two once walked. He, he he's adding that phrase because he, he lists all the things, and you read one and you go, that one's the worst, and I've never done that one. And he goes, Hey, all of us have walked in this at one point or another. He says, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's arguing, making the argument that like, listen, you're gonna wake up in the morning. You're gonna naturally just kind of throw on the clothes of who you were before. But he's saying that's not where you reside now. There's this kingdom that has a way to live. And it's what we see in Matthew where he says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, the conduct, the way that he lives. Paul is making the argument here that, hey, because you have a relationship with God, your life should be rid of these old things. When I got married almost eight years ago, my wife started to ask, hey, can I buy you some clothes? And I was like, I don't understand what's wrong with the clothes that I'm wearing now. And she was like, well, Let's, let's take a look. And she looked through my, my closet, and I loved a couple of bands in high school and early college, That I bought the coolest band tees. Now, here's the problem. In 2007, this guy was wearing a small, maybe a medium, okay? And it was a different thing. I was maybe a different sized person. Maybe that was just the style. My wife looked at him and said, listen, it's, it's 2015. It's just not the look anymore, let me gift you this shirt back as a garage rag and then you don't have to wear it anymore and then I will also gift you this new shirt that actually fits you. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't see the problem because that shirt's fine and I, I kind of like it so I don't want it to go away. But the reality was is it doesn't fit anymore. It's not good for me. And this is what Paul is reminding these people here is he's saying, you've got this old way of living that just doesn't fit your new residence. It doesn't fit this calling that you've been given now. And sometimes I think it's easy to look at like, okay, the the kingdom of God, I I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like this is the place that I've messed up so much. But he's reminding them to do what it is to be a member of this kingdom, to live like it, to act like it, to be there. And you might go, okay, how do I start doing that? What's the beginnings of it? And I look at my relationship with my wife and I look at the commitment that we have and you look at like, okay, I wanna be so committed to God. I want this to be the definition. I want it to be like, I'm so in step. He wants me to go this way. I'm ready to go. And how do you get to that type of spot? And I look at how that coincides with my relationship with my wife. And it started so simple. It started as I like you, I wanna spend time with you, so I'm gonna start in some way. It didn't start with this deep level of commitment, it started with an intentionality that said, I want to be with you, and it grows over time. And I think for some of us in the room, you might look at tonight and say, okay, what what comes first? What's the biggest thing that I can do for God? And I think about, I talked to a friend, Elvis, this week, who's a missionary, a church planner, And I was like, man, what? I was telling him about my message and I was like, you're you're someone who you guys have, he married a girl from here and he's going back home to plant a church. And I was like, what's your advice to this? And he kind of stopped and he was like, "You, you just have to take the next step and trust that his way is best and that he will provide all of the things that you need. And when you get back to that statement in Matthew 6, when you read, and all these things will be added to you. He's not saying all these things like, in everything that you're worried about, God will give you everything to handle that. He's saying God will give you all of the things that he knows that you need, but you're often different. I was reminded this week of of a story of um, an elementary school that had some refugees from... Uh, a war-torn African country. And this, this school, this, this community of this school kind of rallied around them and they were, their family was set up with a home and with food. That There were people that would bring them groceries every week and um, they, they, the school handled their lunches and handled, they, they gave them these school supplies. And one of these kids every week he would make these deals at the lunchroom that he would come up and in his broken English would come up and he would trade his school supplies for food and they would find them in his backpack and they would, they would get to class and they'd go, okay, hey, pull out your, your pencil and your notebook and, and he wouldn't have one. And they'd look in his backpack and he's got food from lunch that he's traded other kids for or that he's bargained for. He's wrapped it up in a napkin and he's, he's held it and he's putting it home. And one of the things that they talked about was that this child has an old way of living that now they're, they're still living that way. They probably lived in a way that they didn't know when food was going to come. So when food came, they, they hoarded it and they kept it and they wanted more. That, that, is, that is common, that's going to happen. But then when everything was provided, it took a principal that sat down with the kid and looked him in the face and said, hey, was there food yesterday? Yes. Was there food the day before that? Yes. Was there food the day before that? Yes. Is there food at home? Yes. Can you trust that there will be sufficient food for tomorrow? And the principal looked at him and said, let me promise you, if there's not food tomorrow, I will make sure there's food tomorrow. You come find me and I'll make it happen. And they had to teach this child what it looked like to live in a place where they weren't living in scarcity. And I think in the same way, we live in a way that says, okay, I got my priorities. I got God's either at the top or near the top. And then I've got, I've got all my other things. And, and man, I want, I want to make a little bit of money and it's not too much, it's not too much that God's going to be upset with it. And, um, and then I've got, I've got my friend group and, and then I've got my my studies and I've got all these things and and we look at it and we go, okay, I I can have God and then I can have success at school. I can have God and then I can go in and we live in a way that's so scarce that we go, okay, if I truly follow God, if I really trust, then there won't be enough of that. And there won't be enough. And we live with the same attitude as those children that say, I've got to scarf it all right now because I'm not sure that there will be enough tomorrow. But the reality is, is that we have a God that has provided everything that we need. Everything that we need. So we can show up to him and say, God, my life is fully yours. Do with it what you will. God, I just want my life to honor and glorify you. He has so much planned for us and so much good for us and we leave it on the table because we want what we can bring to the table. And we miss what God has for us. Do you bow your heads?